0: children can run free. So take my hand, walk this land with me, and walk
1: Well, good evening and welcome to Yadaya, as we typically do. Kirk, we'll start with a few items in the uh, the news. Uh, sure. Small uh, item, but uh, can you imagine how you would feel if, uh, well, let's say that uh, your country decided that it would declare uh, war on Russia, which is what we have essentially done, right? Mm-hmm. billions of dollars of weapons to go kill russians we're just using the ukrainians as our proxy and because yeah. of that the uh, chinese would say you know that's uh that violates our morality and therefore since uh, we have large investments in the state of california we're going to confiscate your house kirk <laughs> You may not have had anything whatsoever to do with, uh, uh, with the decision to uh, um, go to war. Maybe totally against it. Doesn't matter. We're going to take your house because, well, we think we should do that. So what does the United States do? We're going and confiscating the yachts of wealthy Russians. Not because they had anything to do with the decision to go to war, just because Mm -hmm. we like the term oligarch. I don't think there's one American in probably 100,000 that knows what the term oligarch is or that an oligarchy was the only stable form of democracy in world history. If you really understand what an oligarchy uh, is, an oligarchy is when only those who have a vested interest in the society can make decisions regarding the uh, society, and they make all the decisions. So that in a true oligarchic democracy, the people who make things, grow things, sell things – Uh, have things Uh, they decide if the country is going to go to war, if they're going to risk their fortune and their land and their sons to go fight uh, an enemy, they decide how much is going to be spent and for what and on whom. And so it's not like this modern incarnation of a democracy where people can go to the ballot box and vote themselves money that is literally confiscated, stolen from others, such mm-hmm. that ultimately a democracy dies because the, those who are parasites suck too much life out of those who are productive. Might sound harsh, but that's the reality. And in oligarchy, that does not happen. You can't decide how much you can steal from somebody else. You can only decide how much of what you have you're willing to give to the government for the purposes of the government's business. That is an oligarchy. Uh, The United States, as it began, was an oligarchy. Yeah. and They'd have property, almost right? Almost all stable governments are. You, you, if you don't invest it in the system, you don't get to vote in the system. Anyway, that's, mm-hmm. uh, I just think it's grotesquely immoral that we would go confiscate and gleefully confiscate the, uh, the yachts of, uh, of those that um, we are labeling oligarchs. There was an item in the news uh, today that was talking about how at uh, the World Economic Forum Uh, that the consequence of the lockdowns uh, and the deprivation of livelihood that occurred worldwide as liberal government leaders, uh, deprived people of their rights, have caused um, supply lines to be upended, economies to be trashed, currencies to become worthless. And we're only beginning to see the, uh, the horrors of all of this. We're going to have world famine, Uh, And we're going to have uh, revolutions. It's going to be the worst time in human history. And it's derived from largely the mismanagement of the uh, of the COVID uh, um, pandemic. Uh, Guys like Fauci, who were sanctimonious and stood up there and said the science dictates that we force people to stay at home, that we force people to uh uh to give up their personal freedom and and only essential workers can go to work this is an ignoramus as it relates to economics mental health uh human nature and so by following his advice we ended up crippling our nation and the world and mm-hmm. this wasn't a surprise i'm not Monday morning quarterbacking this, this is exactly what I said at the very beginning of the epidemic, that we're going to do vastly more harm, vastly more harm than good. And now the World Economic Forum, after all of the devastation of that, and then doubled down uh, um, Biden, uh, decides that he's going to instigate a war in the Ukraine so that uh, he can play uh, warrior president uh, and give billions of dollars of weapons to the Ukraine to kill Russians, that the uh, sanctions that were placed on, uh, on Russia have grossly exacerbated what was already a, a death spiral in the world's economies. But the World Economic Forum says, ah, that very mess we made, now you should trust us to solve it for you. I, uh, I don't think so. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know that with all of these sanctions, you know what the strongest currency in the world is—the the currency that has uh, uh, increased in value forty uh, percent uh, against the dollar since January? No, I don't. The Russian ruble.
0: <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to say. I just wow well. <laughs> Wouldn't that back be the, back
1: uh, so? the, <laughs> the thing that you would have thought would have been different? If you look at the value of the ruble to the dollar uh, before uh, Russia invaded uh, the Ukraine uh, and its uh, value now, it's, uh, it's much, much higher now. So we plunged the value of the, uh, of the ruble immediately after the invasion. <laughs> but oh, since January, uh, it's, uh, its rate of, uh, of success parallels the U.S. rate of inflation and lack of success. Wow. I was uh, sickened. Of course, we're all sickened by uh, oh, yeah. an 18-year-old going in and murdering, what, 20 uh, children and teachers in a uh, school in Vivaldi, uh, uh, Texas. The thing that was far sicker is that the moral midget that we have in the White House came out and must have said in God's name about 10 times, I can assure you that Roman Catholic does not know God's name, and every time he'd say god's name it was to blame the gun or blame the uh, gun lobby as he calls it the gun lobby is insignificant in washington i mean it's the amount of money that they spend and the influence they have compared to other lobbies is absolutely inconsequential and i can assure you that the gun lobby and the gun had nothing to do with what happened in uh, uvalde Texas. What happened there is the same thing that uh, that has happened in every one of these mass shootings. And it goes back 10 years when I first reported on this and I uh, said uh, there is a common denominator in all of the mass shootings. It's not just that the perpetrator was uh, insane, uh, mentally deranged. But it Virtually all cases, they were using psychiatric drugs. And this is harder and harder for us to to establish now because the HIPAA rules and the uh, disclosure rules are such that it's very difficult to know any one individual that is using mind-altering drugs. But you know what the percentage is of the nation? 40 million Americans are taking psychiatric drugs for one Mm -hmm. form of mental disorder or another. That does not include the tens of millions of Americans that are taking uh, painkillers of one sort or another. That is not counting the tens of millions of uh, Americans that are on illegal uh, drugs like uh, heroin and fentanyl and cocaine. That does not include the tens of millions of Americans that are hooked on alcohol and are abusing alcohol or drugged out of their mind mm-hmm. with alcohol just on mind altering psychiatric drugs. 40 million Americans. Was that one in eight?
0: That's staggering.
1: And since it's not being taken by three year olds of, uh, of adult uh, Americans and it's not being uh, t- taken significantly no. by uh, seasoned citizens of uh like of, yeah of teens and early 20s and 30s what what do you think the number is <clears throat> not one in eight i bet um, it's, you know uh, one in well like four. one in four
0: yeah yeah
1: and if you add in those other drugs what do you think it is uh one, More
0: than two. one in two yeah I mean, we're drugged
1: out of our mind that's why the prophecy and yeshua 17 and 18 uses intoxication to describe America. But beyond these psychiatric drugs, I don't want to limit it there, we as a nation, America, I, I would say the West, has created this problem and we don't want to address what caused it. We've so liberalized our schools with political correctness, with progressive thought that there's no longer any accountability, no sense of responsibility, no right, no wrong. Evidence and reason no longer matter. And if you can't think, if you're not rational, if there is no right and wrong, if the things that are the most perverted are the things that are most accepted, then you as a society are going to have this become commonplace. And there is nothing that will stop it because we aren't smart enough anymore to remove the negative influence of liberal education. But that's our problem. We've dumbed down generations where they can no longer think. And, of course, we have the seven hours a day that the average person in the world spends uh, online. Uh, playing computer, either in social media, tending to be somebody else, or as a voyeur, looking at somebody else's life, or playing a first-person shooter game where you get to reboot when you're uh, killed or you killed somebody else, or the goal of the game is to kill someone. We're really in serious trouble. Mm -hmm. And the world is disintegrating very rapidly, and I can assure you that none of the politicians and, and virtually no one in the media has a clue as to what the problem is or how we go about solving it. I don't do you know, but we're at the uh, the cusp of having another epidemic. While well, COVID now is uh, ripping through the world again. And you don't hear anybody talking about it because they don't want to admit that everything they did in the name of science turned out to be counterproductive. That we ruined our economy, we ruined our supply lines, that we lines we put the world on the precipice of, uh, of world hunger and famine. We accomplished nothing uh, but made lives worse. And so, as COVID rises, nobody even wants the vaccine because the vaccine had too short a life. Uh, the vaccine has no value on the newest strains. Uh, the mortality rate turned out to be exactly as I said it was going to be, one in a thousand. It, they're tossing away billions of vaccines. Um, there's no more mask mandates. You know, it's, they don't want to talk about it, but it is exceedingly pervasive. There's not even any reason to do testing anymore. But there is a new virus. You know what the one is? This is sick monkey pox. you know how we I'm get monkey, pox. monkey pox? somebody uh, in nigeria no, I don't. some likely a christian in uh, nigeria could have been a muslim but likely a christian in in, Mong- in nigeria they, uh, they i think they're two-thirds three-quarters of the population there it's having sex with a monkey oh yep God. That's how it uh, goes uh, across the uh, genetic line. So uh, welcome to bestiality and the uh, world of, uh, of Christianity and Black Lives Matter. But right now, uh, monkeypox is uh, is racing across the world. Germany alone is uh, trying to order 40,000 vaccine doses as a precaution against uh, monkeypox. It's a horrible disease by the way. So we are uh, dealing with an interesting world. Uh, of course, we talked two weeks in a row about the impending release of the Supreme uh, Coast uh, court overturning Roe v. Wade. And you know I've, I've talked very honestly about it. Uh, uh, Roe v. Wade should be overturned uh, because of the fact it is, it was not constitutional uh, in the first paper, place. It yeah. is a, it is either a state right or an individual right, uh, not a national right uh and uh, if you don't adhere to the rule of law, then you have no law you're just uh pure uh, opinion and uh, uh and you can't govern that way. There have to be standards and uh so my view is that uh, it is either a state right or an individual right, and have long said that the first trimester uh is uh is sad, but it is something that uh is likely the the choice of the of the two would-be parents and the third trimester it's murder and what you do in the uh, in the second is uh, is of serious concern uh, but the thing that really upsets me about the whole thing of course is the uh, is all the women out there saying my body my choice as if uh, they don't want anybody else having influence over their body, but somebody needs to because obviously they have no control over it otherwise they wouldn't have an unwanted pregnancy. That's something to think about next time you uh, think that you should go out and parade around and say that uh, my body, my choice. Why couldn't you be responsible for your body in the first place? Uh, There is an issue of all of this that uh, no one wants to talk about. But the rate of abortion each year among uh, Caucasian women is 6 per 1000 6 per 1000 caucasian women each year have an abortion 24 per 1000 african american women have an abortion an african american woman is four times more likely to have an abortion each year again we talk about percentages and If it were 10% more likely, you'd say uh, it's probably an irrelevant number. 20% -hmm. you begin to talk about it. 30% okay, that's significant. 40% very significant. 50% you need to pay attention to this. It's serious. Twice at 100%? (laughs) Well, that's uh, something seriously wrong with uh, with one group versus another. But. This isn't ten or twenty or thirty or forty or fifty percent it's not a hundred percent it's four times
0: mm
1: mm-hmm. uh in uh hispanic uh women and in uh asian uh women uh hispanic they are um uh, twelve per uh, per thousand so Hispanic women are half as likely to have an abortion as a black woman, and uh, twice as likely to have one as a Caucasian woman. When you have numbers like this, then you have a cultural difference in those communities. This is not a, a matter of genetics, This is not a matter of what the skin color is on the outside. It's about the culture and the irresponsible nature of a culture, which is four times more likely to deal with an unwanted pregnancy, with the inability to control one's body by killing the fetus. That is something to think about, is it not?
0: Well, I guess.
1: All right. I would like to turn to uh, the what we were considering uh, a, uh, a week ago. We had um, uh, read a uh, a very profound um, uh, statement, and were beginning to comment on it, it was a fairly long statement. I'll reread it, and then we can continue to, okay. uh, to talk about it. It says, a prophet from among your midst, from your brethren. Similar to me, Yahweh your God will raise up in position to take a stand which establishes and affirms you. To him... I want you to actually and continually listen. Before we go on, that's just words corrupted to Deuteronomy 1850. Okay, he's a prophet, an abbey. There was only about 40 of them. From mm-hmm. your midst. That means he is going to be a Israelite. From your brethren. Emphasizing again that there will be a family connection to the descendants of Jacob. This person is not going to be a Gentile. You can be assured. Similar to me. How many people could claim a similarity, or in fact not them claim, it, how many people would Moshe claim? are similar to him. Went in to Mitzrayim with Yahweh to liberate at least 600,000 slaves. Not only was that, I'm not even sure that is the lead item on his resume. He's the guy that delivered the Torah to us. And then he's the guy that explained it to us in the book of Dabarim, and all the while herded this miserable herd of, of cats <laughs> out of Mitzrayim, the crucibles of religious and political oppression, and into the promised land, or at least to the promised land. I mean, that's a heck of a resume. And he did all of that after he was uh, 80 years old. That's pretty remarkable. Okay. He, at one time in his life, was a leader of the government of Mitzrayim. Uh It's likely, because everybody in the royal family is a male, would have been an officer in the military. Mm-hmm. So, government, leader, officer in the military, prophet, liberator, defender of his people. You know another guy like that?
0: Well, I know another's got good credentials, but he's he's pretty sharp.
1: Yeah, Dode way out it. of that out of league. It. Yeah, those, Yeah, that yeah, would be yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's a list of one. There's only one yeah. person who uh, who Moshe would say this fellow's like me. That's
0: that's the one. Yeah, yeah.
1: he's the one. Okay, nobody else. Similar to me. Yahweh, your God. Not Jesus. Not Allah. Not Hashem. Not Adonai. Not the Lord. Yahweh, your God. If Yahweh's not your God, well, you're hurting for gods. If Yahweh's not your God, this person is meaningless to you. Because there is nothing for you. Yahweh, your God, will raise up and positioned to take a stand which establishes and affirms you. He's not going to come and establish a new religion. He's not going to affirm and establish Gentiles. This can't be Jebus, who did that for the Roman Catholic Church. He's establishing and affirming Israelites. What is the basis of religion is that God got so pissed off that those dastardly Jews killed him that he deprived them of heaven and transferred every promise that he had made to them to the Gentile church. That is the basis, the very foundation of Christianity. This says exactly the opposite, that it can't be the Christian Christ. Says it's going to affirm you. He's speaking to Israelites. Your brethren, from among your midst, it is a Israelite that is going to affirm Israel. Well, tell me, who did that? Who is the guy that unified Israel? That brought them into Jerusalem as their capital. Who's the one that uh-huh. defended them from every enemy? Once again. No. Jesus didn't do that. Stoad. No. That's the one he's talking about here. Of course, the Muslims will claim that this is speaking of Muhammad. Are you crazy? What part of this he speaks to Please. Please. He will raise up and take a position and stand which establishes and affirms you. Kulb, La, Ata. He will validate and confirm, elevating the status to encourage and restore you. Well, Do took over. Things were pretty bad. I mean, Saul got his head literally handed to him. Mm-hmm. As did his son. Israel was in dire straits. And when he returns, Israel will be all but destroyed. But not afterwards. To him, I want you to actually and continually listen. Well, can you please tell me the list of people that are Israelites, that are prophets, that are among your brethren, that have been raised up by God to take a stand which establishes and affirms Yisrael to whom we can actually and continually listen. Oh, ye! who was the most prolific writer amongst all Israelites?
0: To whom do we have the
1: greatest trove of Dead Sea Scrolls? Dode the author of the Mismore and the Mishal. Though is the only one we can continue to listen to. as can't, hell can't listen to Jesus, because guess what? Jesus wrote nothing down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not a word. And there was no one with him that wrote anything. But in the case of Yahweh's prophets, it's the prophet who writes things down. If, if Yosha was supposed to be a prophet, he'd have written stuff down, in Hebrew, and it would have been retained for us to read. But there's nothing. So You can't listen to him. So we're back to one person. Dope. But, I can be fair. Yermaya, yashaya boy, they had a lot to say. Yaketzel, hosha, Zachariah, Malachi, they all had a lot to say, and we can all listen to what they had to say. I'm not sure, however, that the term will will raise up and position to take a stand which establishes and affirms you, though would be correct with any of them, because their primary yeah. message is your and your religion are disgusting.
0: Yeah.
1: He wasn't affirming them. He was doing exactly the opposite to these uh these yeah. prophets, and so it is uh it's something we should consider when um uh, when we're trying to come up with this list
0: and and no one no one listened to Yashia. he turned around and said, hey, nobody there
1: nobody there oh yeah no I mean, one no one
0: no, yeah, no, no, until that's now. Not,
1: that ain't true today
0: I'm No, you, we're not today yeah. yes, sir. This is
1: consistent with everything which you requested of Yahweh your God in Chorub during the day of the assembly when you said never again let me hear the voice of Yahweh my God nor let me witness this intense fire anymore lest I die the body in 1816 wow okay so I get it. It, it, At first I'd say, how could you be so stupid? you got the creator, the God of the universe, and he's talking directly to you. The beautiful, warming, glowing, enlightening fire on the top of that mountain. And you hear this rich tenor of God's voice, and he's speaking lovingly and caringly. To you, and your response is, uh "Oh, don't want any of that. Get him away from me." And the reason that you can't say that uh, they were wrong—certainly not my approach—I gotta tell you—but you can't (laughs) claim that they're wrong because God said they were right. God says you're right. I, I, I won't do it again. What does that mean? This tells you what that means, that God has mm-hmm. chosen right then and forevermore to communicate with an mm-hmm. individual, one of us. God says, you're right, I'm not going to speak to you directly with my big booming voice and the fire because it intimidates you. And that's not my goal. I want to embrace you, not intimidate you. And so I'm going to speak to you through one of you. This is a message given by the one Yahweh chose to speak for him at this time. And it's about the one that Yahweh chose to speak for him in the midst of the entire human experience. 3,000 years after we were exiled from the Garden of Eden and 3,000 years before we were allowed back in. One person then, one person again, one person in our immediate future. That is God's way. When God spoke, uh, now this is a much lesser role. This prophecy is not about uh, the last witness. It's not about the choder. It's not about the, uh, the knacker, but it is in a way, indirectly. God wants to get the attention of his people before he returns. He wants there to be a day of reconciliations, plural. And right now amongst Jews, and particularly Jews and Israel, they'd be somewhere between slim and none. And so God picked an individual to communicate with his people, because that's what he said he was going to do. He is never going to talk to them directly again. I think that will change upon his return, but even on his return, he's not the king of kings, notice. Even upon his return, the one who is counseling the people is not Yahweh stowed. So even upon his return, God's going to, to stay with this plan. He picks one person, and it's that person, through whom he communicates. And now, there is a final witness, a Bashar, a herald, a Malak, a messenger, a knacker, an informed and observant responsive foreigner, a choder, a sucker from the original rootstock. It is God's way to pick someone to communicate. I was uh, concluding the most difficult chapter I have uh, written in the past 21 years uh, this afternoon. And I decided that uh, because for the last week that I've been working on it, my wife continues to ask me, can you read something of the new chapter to you? And I kept on saying, no, I'm I'm really struggling with it. I'm not in a position to do And uh, and she's very nice. She gives me the space. And uh, and this morning I said, I've I've completed the chapter. I want to read to you the uh, the last uh, five or six pages, because there's an ending that uh, was uh, very surprising. And I began to read and I explained to her, this is this is what the text says and then began to explain the text. And she says, you know, that's why you're doing this. He says, you know, I spend every day reading the Torah. I love the Torah. I love the prophets. Uh, I, I understand them. And I also know the insides. It's when God's criticizing my people, I know exactly what we do that is irritating. This is my life. He says, but I never would have seen the things that you pointed out unless you had shared them. And that's why it's you not me or anyone else. And that is how God works. You may not like it. You might want a different solution. You might want to pick somebody else. But I'm just telling yeah. you, that that is, that is God's choice. And, uh, and it's how he, through experience, has found that it must be. So it's consistent with everything which you requested. He's still speaking to Yisrael. Of Yahweh, your God, in Torah. That's where the Torah was revealed. During the day of the assembly, when you said, Never again I do not want to hear the voice nor see the great light, the fire of Yahweh my God, lest I die. Therefore Yahweh said to me, That's actually better. They have appropriately conveyed their preference so our natural instinct is to say what's wrong with you dunderheads
0: (laughs) no, listen to God listen to God, he's great
1: he's one, but no God says no, they're right they're right and I'm going to forevermore, well at least for the the six thousand years of the human experiment i'm going to pick an individual sometimes i'll pick two there's two witnesses in the last days uh, you know that uh, there was an overlap between uh yashaya hosha uh Yirmiya, the little the period there where there was an overlap of uh, prophets. prophet uh, dode and Nathan were both prophets, although we don't know a lot about Nathan other than than uh, the uh, majestic uh, conveyance of, uh, <laughs> of Second uh, Samuel 7. But for the most part, there was one. and God says, "I understand that their preference is actually better." So, I will raise up and establish. A prophet for them from among their brothers, similar to you. Yeah. Is God speaking yeah. now. now. God speaking to us through his prophets so we can read what he said in first person. We can articulate it. It's the best of all worlds. I can choose to spend my time studying these words, as can you. I can choose to listen to him. I can choose to observe what he said or I can choose to close the book and not. It's perfect. God's only shouts when I shout out his words. And then it's because I want him to shout. I want to hear him shout. Sometimes he speaks softly. We set the tone. The words are his. The inflection is ours a marvelous arrangement and God says I will put my words in his mouth and he will convey them everything which for the benefit of the relationship I instruct him okay let's think about the candidates for that as well he's a uh, he's a prophet so as a prophet fires the words that he wrote and he conveyed to us we know what Yahweh inspired Dode to write. He was among the three greatest prophets. I would put Moshe, Dode, and Yahshua as the three great prophets. Yeah. We know what God inspired him to write. God, he did those things. But it's interesting with the prophets... It, God did not say that everything that comes out of his mouth will be inspired by me. He just says, I will put my words in his mouth. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will convey them. Everything which, for the benefit of the relationship, I instruct him. It did not say that everything that came out of Dode's mouth would be truthful. Dode said some stupid stuff. He didn't say anything stupid and when he's writing a mashal or a proverb, a, uh, a psalm, or a, a Mismore. Then it's all inspired, word for word, what God told him to say. Everything that Yahweh instructed him to say, for the benefit of the relationship, he wrote down and conveyed to us. So prophets aren't perfect people. It's that their prophecies are perfect. Good point. Now, of these people, there were really very few that God instructed. Uh, Yahweh instructed Moshe. There's no doubt about it. He not just articulated the Torah. He taught Moshe the Torah. That's why Dabarim is as it is. Uh, There are some others that uh, Yahweh clearly taught, but the list is short. And the most telling on that list is his son, Dodd. And so this is somebody that Yahweh instructed. I don't think that, that, uh, Yahweh instructed the nefesh that resided within Yosha. I think he directed the nefesh that's inside of, uh, Yosha. Uh, We had a brief conversation about it uh, uh, this evening. Kirk and I received a nice letter Mm -hmm. from Jackie uh, this evening. Uh, She has recently received the translation of of Ms. Moore 88, the hardest that I've ever done. It's a chapter that just concluded. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult because the voice throughout, from beginning to end, is the nefesh of Yahweh.
0: Yeah.
1: And and trying to understand the nephesh of Yahweh and how the nephesh of Yahweh resides uh, within Yosha and then goes and is separated and endures uh, the separation of Sheol and then reunites okay. with Yahweh and then runs a commentary on how frustrated he is with how his people have responded to what he has done. Uh, it is a, an exceedingly interesting, and if you're you have to be fully into this to deal with the uh, the detail of uh, of this, the, because it's, it's a complicated concept. But mm-hmm. as a probe, uh, and that's really how Yahweh used his nefesh. Yahweh can't enter our three-dimensional realm, so he can't be a lamb. But he can project his conscious awareness into an individual to serve as the lamb. And Still smell, see, hear, touch, feel,
0: feel. everything yeah.
1: that's happening to that lamp, that individual. And likewise, he can do the same thing as Shield. He can't go to the place of separation, but he can send, dispatch a probe there that is a a living, conscious projection of himself, which can send back all of the data. So that he knows exactly what's happening and how torturous it is, and so Yahweh is not teaching that probe, but directing no. the probe, and the communication mm-hmm. is primarily from the probe back to Yahweh, and so this i I am instructing him of what to say can't be of Yosha in whom that Get it. probe resided, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not uh, written that way. The Mismore 88 is. This is not. And it shall come to be that as an individual who will not listen to my words, which he shall declare, in my name, I myself will seek it of him and hold him accountable for it, requiring it of him. Devarim 18. 19. Moshe, that could be said about Moshe, clearly. That, uh, you know, God, God can say, I put my words in his mouth. God said he was going to do it. He did it. Uh, He uh, instructed him, what he said was for the benefit of the relationship, and God is going to hold all of us accountable for knowing what Moshe said, because Moshe revealed the terms and conditions of the covenant, he revealed the invitations to meet of the Moed Mikre, which we need to attend and we need to accept. So this is absolutely true of Moshe. So who else wrote so profoundly that God's going to hold us accountable for what he said and inspired through him? And how is God going to hold us accountable for that? Because Dode is returning as Messiah, Shepherd, and King. That's why. No one else is returning as Messiah, Shepherd, and King. Only Dode. And since he is in charge we're going to be accountable for knowing what he said what he represents the reason that the mission that became Yada Yadah began with a single word and a single passage Second Samuel 7th chapter 11th verse beginning with Asher which is a relational term which uh, tells us that there's the proper path to walk, to receive the benefits of the relationship and get the most joy out of life. Asher. Uh, that when we were directed to that, little did I know that, that uh, it would appear in um, six different volumes of, uh, of the Yada, Yada series and that it would be the, the very fulcrum upon which, which God's plan pivots. It is about Dode and Yahweh's relationship with him uh, initially in life, taking him from the sheepfold and making him the leader of his people, uh, providing him with the, the most wonderful of homes, while Yahweh had uh, essentially none and then taking him such that a speck of his DNA will be reconstituted and he will be brought back to, uh, to life and his kingdom established forever. It is um, the most powerful prophecy in the world, and it is that prophecy that helps us understand specifically why God is talking about this man. It is that prophecy that helps us understand the central role the Son of God plays in God's unfolding story and how Dod represents really all of Israel. He represents the covenant. He is a product of the Torah. And it's when we come to appreciate what Dode means to Yahweh. How Dode said, I got it. You don't want me to, to govern you directly. You don't want me to inspire you directly. You don't want me to talk to you directly. You don't want to see me in your face. I get it. That's all good. So I'm going to pick a man. Well, the whole ceremony about Yahweh choosing Dode, him explaining that his criterion is different than ours and how he anointed him as the Messiah immediately at eight years old, and then brought his spirit upon him to inspire him, made him the leader of his people. This is God saying, I get it, that's best, and we'll do it that way. He's speaking of the single most important life in human history, the life of God. That is Yah's answer for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it's not until you have an appreciation for who he is and what he represents that you really have a full appreciation of what the covenant is, the value of the Moed Mikre, the nature of the relationship Yah wants to establish with us, and his timeline for our redemption. It is Doad, after all, who is being brought back with blood on his fingertips to sprinkle it on the Kippurah, the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant to fulfill the promises of reconciliation so God and his people can be reunited, reestablished, reaffirmed, just as this prophecy foretells. It is a magnificent slice of our history foretold in these words. We were well through the commentary on this when uh, our program ended, and I want to pick up with... Here we are now. It's uh, The program is two-thirds over, and true to form, Kirk, we're going to pick up with where we actually left <laughs> off last week.
0: It was I, uh, I, I stand I like uh, it uh, rightly
1: accused, but uh, Iyawa, uh and my the team of, uh, of wonderful editors um, had me take this word out, but it was a chapter that I wrote for uh, Volume 7, uh, a number of translations, where it seemed to say to me that God was repetitive. And I find him repetitive. But since repetitive is kind of a, has a pejorative tone to it, and Somebody is repetitive and said, you know, you don't need to be repetitive. You've told me that story already. Well, God really is that was good repetitive. teaching. <laughs> it is. But that's the best way to teach. I didn't look yeah. at it as a, as a pejorative because I'm repetitive. Uh, <laughs> we've just repeated that prophecy because I think it is that important for us to know. And the <laughs> more times we hear it, the more different ways we speak about it, the more likely it is that all of us are going to benefit from it understand it, retain sure. it, be able to teach it and share it. So repetition, I think, is a really good thing. I thought that what God was saying, I'm repetitive, isn't that good. But my, the, the editors didn't, didn't think so. That, um, uh, I have a and, – and they're right, by the way. I have a tendency to be so comfortable with Yahweh that I will say things uh, the strike <laughs>
0: scares them.
1: People ask, "Did you really
0: say that about God?" <laughs> what?
1: What? Well, yes, yes. Uh, that's a good thing. He he
0: uh,
1: he. He strikes me as exceedingly approachable and friendly. And so long as we get his name right and and render his uh, words accurately, and don't uh, uh, change him into some kind of a pagan god, he's really a pretty accommodating. Pretty,
0: pretty. Yeah.
1: So, uh, Kirk, whether it was Adam or Noah, Abraham or Jacob, Samuel or Dode, Yahweh's been consistent, with very rare exceptions. Mm -hmm. He has chosen one or two individuals with whom to engage and through whom to communicate to Yisrael. And he seldom, if ever, works alone. Yahweh does not want to intimidate us. He doesn't want to have anyone worship him. He isn't a complete advocate of free will, and he wants nothing more than to develop a familial relationship. We approach our God through evidence and reason by choice, not because he is so visible and so intense that he can't be denied. Point taken. This is the reason we were created. This is the explanation for the covenant. Now, this predicted individual, he would be a Israelite. He would be a prophet, of which there were 40. Each left an indelible written history to explain the past and predict the future. Each prophet is irrefutably and undeniably um, inspired by God such that everything they wrote remains accurate. Of these men, and Nabi is masculine, there were uh, female uh, prophetesses, but this one is a Nabi. Uh, it's a masculine term. Only one rises to the level of doubt. Upon his return, Yahweh will be arriving <laughs> with his chosen Masiach, Malak Ra'ah, and Ben. Masiyach is Messiah. Malak is king. Ra'ah is shepherd. Ben is son. It is to the, list, to the lyrics of his psalms and the prose of his proverbs that God wants us to listen. And the fact is, God mm-hmm. listens to doubt. There are not a lot of people that God say, I listen to him. He could sing for me all day long. He caught him. Yep. Of the four Zoroa, this cannot be Moshe because he is predicting another. It cannot be Yahusha since he wrote nothing for us to read. And therefore, we cannot listen to him. And it cannot be Yada, because he is a messenger and not a prophet. And as for Yashaya, Yermaya, Zachariah et al., there were many, not one. Yahweh revealing himself through individuals like Dode rather than to large gatherings of illiterate people throughout time is actually a much better approach. It is the best way for everyone, no matter when or where they were born, to know Yahweh. read his Torah, to attend his Mechre, and participate in his Barath. Like, I've been doing it now for 21 years. Many of you listening have done it for over a decade. It's a marvelous experience. We can do Mm -hmm. it collectively, we can do it individually. In this manner, we are all given direct access to God. We have no filter. We can listen to God speak to us directly. First person. And are able to study the revelations his prophets provided whenever time permits. However, with availability comes responsibility. Because Yahweh has made his testimony available to all of us, and because he has proven that he has inspired his prophets, God will require proof of it. At least among those who wish to live with him. Without knowing what Yahweh revealed, we cannot be right about him. And unless we are correct, there is no life beyond the one we are living. By saying that the Nabi will uh, come from your midst and from your brethren, we are assured that he is the Israelite, the descendant of Jacob. And because Moshe said, "You're not my," in this discussion regarding the Loi, and that's how this prophecy began. The Badaim 18 begins with a thorough discussion about the Loi.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The uh, prophet would be from another tribe. And after announcing that he will be a Navi by indicating that he would be similar to me, Moshe was revealing that he would be supremely intelligent. Now, let's make no mistake about it. Moshe was brilliant. Moshe was also a great writer and orator. I know that it says that he had a thick tongue and, and uh, probably was not the... Uh, the most crisp presenter of words, which is exactly as Yahweh wanted it. He picked someone whose diction was not ideal to introduce his name to the world to disprove that this notion that uh, we don't know how to say God's name correctly or precisely, so we should not irritate him by saying it imprecisely, well, that's pretty much destroyed by the realization Mm
0: -hmm. that God picked
1: Moshe, who claimed to have a a speech issue, to convey his name to us. But Moshe, make no mistake, was supremely intelligent. He was a great writer. The Badim is spectacular oratory. He was a wonderful leader, a spectacular liberator, someone who was chosen and equipped by Yahweh to shepherd his flock. Apart from Moshe, there's only one other such man. Note, David. He alone rose up to stand up for God's people, establishing and encouraging Israel. And through his words, the people rise up and are restored. Moreover, what he has done, he will do again. Now, we'd be wise to listen to Yosha Ben-Nun to Shemuel, to Yahshia, to Yermaya, to Hosha, to Yaquetzel, as we are to Dode. But they are not actually comparable. Dode did not speak of Yosha ben Nun, of Yahshia, Yermiyah, Hosha, Yaquetzel, but they all spoke of him. Dode's life and lyrics go well beyond providing a prophetic narrative regarding the future of Israel because he is Israel. He is, as I have mentioned, the living embodiment of the covenant. He is the son of God. He is the shepherd. We are afforded the opportunity to follow into the promised land. And he is our king once we are there. Dode is our guide, he is our mentor, he is our counselor, our brother, our Messiah, our shepherd, and our king. His words are more prolific than any other. But more than this, Dodd is Yahweh's answer to the people's problems. Their preference to listen to a man speak of God rather than directly from God, as the man Yosha chose and anointed to inspire and enlighten his people, Dod is Yahweh's retort to Yisrael's response. And from God's perspective, it would be better, more appropriate, to address the wayward nation through him. I think we can say with a significant degree of confidence that of all the people who have ever lived, Yahweh is most like Dote. Now I understand, Yahweh is far more magnificent than was Dote. But of all the men who ever lived, if you were looking for a personality, a character, an attitude, an aptitude that was the most similar to God among men and women, out. Yahweh brought Dode out of obscurity. He raised him above all Yisrael. He established him as the Maxiach, Ra'ah, Ben, and Melech, as well as his Nabi. God placed his words in his mouth, evidence of which we find throughout the Mizmor and Mashal as he sang them to us. God's son followed his father's footsteps, doing as Yahweh instructed. And because of this, God is expecting us to know what he wrote for us to read. His words, after all, define the relationship Yahweh wants to achieve. Whose name is mentioned the most in the Torah prophets and Psalms?
0: God, of course. I mean,
1: Yahweh and then Dode. Yahweh 7,000 times. Mm-hmm. Who's mentioned the third most?
0: Uh, probably Moshe. Moshe. I'm guessing.
1: Yep. And who's mentioned the second most?
0: It has to be Dode, yeah.
1: Dod, by a long shot. Well over 1,000 times for Dode. Not even a comparison to anyone else. It is essential that we come to recognize and accept those unique position in the heart of Yahweh's story. You know, when I was asked the other day, we took an outing on the uh, on the boat, appropriately <laughs> name named Kara, with my uh, uh, Labrador, appropriately named uh, Asher, my wife, appropriately named uh, Leah. You can see I have bought into Yahweh's uh, uh, <laughs> story. I... I've, you know, chose the name uh, Yada, and then uh, applied it to the series as Yada Yawa. So uh, uh, you and, can and accuse.
0: So do Yawa, hey?
1: Yeah, you can accuse me of being biased. I uh, I certainly am. But uh, uh, while we were talking, um, one of the guests said, "So has over these this course of the 20 years you've written all these books. Now you're going back and re-editing them. Has uh, someone that is has read your books?" Pointed out something to you that completely changed your viewpoint, that had a you know profound impact on uh, on what you thought to be accurate, so that you rewrote your book based upon what uh, somebody who had read them um, uh, came to recognize was incorrect about what you had previously said. And well, the fact checkers uh, that uh, that scour uh, each chapter that I write will say, oh what you wrote there is not true it's always in a detail you know and you're just okay I, uh, somebody asked that this is the, the, the first mention of such and such was actually the most infamous uh, mention there was a, a, a mention previous that I had written in and that I wrote out that's just not substantial enough to include but details but the answer to that question is no not in 21 years And what we went on to say is that his follow-up question was, um, well, you're rewriting all these books. Why? And I said, one reason. Really, one reason. The recognition of who God is and God's plan. Because it changes everything. Now you Mm -hmm. know who the Son of God is. Now you know who the Messiah is. Now you know who's returning. Now you know what's important to read and what's not. And now you know why Sha'ul is the plague of death and the Dode is the source of life. Okay. When, you, when you come to appreciate Dode's role, it changes the perspective that you look at these words. And so just that alone... Uh, it's going to be over three years of my life to uh, rewrite the uh, the 25 volumes of, uh, of Yadaya. It's been a pleasure to do it. I've learned so much. I'm delighted that it, the occasion has occurred. But genuinely, it was prompted by the recognition of Dote. Because once you recognize who Dote is, God's chosen people are waiting for their own to return. Yeah. They didn't. Fail to recognize the Messiah. The Messiah is Doed. God didn't turn on them because they, uh, they killed him. The one who was killed is the Passover lamb. He came to be killed. Jews have made a terrible mistake. They have denied the Passover lamb. That's the, um, the conclusion of, uh, of the 88th Mismore that is so telling. The greatest mistake in the history of God's people is the failure to recognize what Yahweh did for them on Pesach and Matzah in year 4000 Yah and Their vehement denial of it. But with Dod being the Messiah, with Dod being the Son of God, with Dod being the King of Kings, then the story concludes where it began. With the chosen people. With the most chosen individual among the chosen people. And so it it brings us back to the entire focus of Yadah Yahweh is Yahweh revealing himself to Yisrael. And you Come to that appreciation when you come to know exactly those role in this story and why Dabarim 18 is so essential. With Dabarim 18 and this prophecy about the coming one, then there is no justification whatsoever for Christian New Testament. Yosha is nothing more, nothing less than the Passover lamb. The stories about doubt. It is essential, really, that we come to appreciate his position in the heart of Yahweh's story. He arose three thousand years after our exit from Eden. And he will be returning in year 6,000 yah, years from our expulsion into Eden to open its door to the garden once again. He has always been our shepherd. Those who do not recognize him as such will not be recognized or accepted by Yahweh. You reject a man's son and you have slapped him in the face. And that's the moral of the story. It's why Yahweh leads through observations to coming home where Dodes, Mashal, and Mizmor are king. Now what follows may sound harsh, but these words are words the world needs to hear. They're directed principally at the likes of Paul, Akiba, and Muhammad, giving us the means to identify and disregard false prophets. It reads, with absolute certainty, nevertheless, the person who proclaims a message on behalf of a deity who deliberately oversteps their bounds and speaks arrogantly and presumptuously, defiantly concocting a rebellious scheme for the express purpose of conveying words under my reputation and designation, which I have not expressly appointed, taught, authorized, or directed him to convey, or who speaks in the name of other and additional gods then that prophet is actually deadly. 1820 Among the most profoundly important statements ever inspired by God. He has given you the means to know what he inspired and what he has not. This statement tells you that the Quran is rubbish and must be thrown away. It tells you that the Christian New Testament is counterproductive and deadly and must be discarded. Tells you that the book of Enoch is trash. Well, I know such men, as do you. Paul was the worst of them, followed by Akiba, Muhammad, and Mamamides. But the list of men who have claimed God's authority for their edicts and actions, is long. And it includes the leaders of Greece and Rome, the kings of Assyria and Babylon, Roman Catholic popes, Jewish rabbis, and the royal despots who ruled over Europe, China, Asia, South and Central America, and the Middle East. Those who have read Mein Kampf recognize that even Hitler could be included among the infamous. Shaul Paul, the orator, author, and inspiration behind the Christian New Testament, was the most egregious and obvious offender. He was also the most defiant and deadly, especially in his assault against Jews. The self-proclaimed apostle was arrogant by his own admission. He seethed in rage against God's chosen people, writing horrible things about them, which would haunt them for two millennia, In a fit of anger. He even condemned three of Yosha's disciples. Paul was prone to exaggeration, falsely claiming 99.9% of the world's population for himself, and he was a schemer devising the most devilish plots against Yahweh's covenant, his Torah, his feasts, his Shabbat, even against circumcision, the sign of the covenant. In direct violation of uh, this exhortation and prophecy, Paul boastfully, presumptuously claimed to speak for the God he continually contradicted, the God he errantly cited the God he routinely misconstrued. What he said and wrote, rather than being inspired by God, was actually diametrically opposed to what Yahweh had instructed in his Torah. Paul also promoted the names of false gods, writing, in the name of the Lord, quoting Dionysus, while basing his gospel on the Greek charities and the Roman graces. Even his Ayusu Christu was bogus, serving as a replacement for the God Paul despised. As a consequence of not recognizing that Shaul was the plague of death, the world's most anti-Semitic religion took root and it grew, leading to countless pogroms and eventually to the Holocaust. if only there had been a Torah observant Jew with the intellect and character to compare what Paul said and wrote to this declaration within the Torah that he was obviously violating a New Testament would not have been added to what was deemed now to be old. One. Hebrew systematically compared this statement in the Torah to what Paul promoted. It would have been over.
0: Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Wow.
1: Zed is is an especially provocative term. It it serves Mm -hmm. as the juxtaposition of arrogance and uh, exaggeration in this uh, prophecy, presumptuousness and uh, contempt uncontrollable rage and scheming deliberation, audacious audacious disrespect, and mean-spirited rebellion. Zed also addresses what we would call deliberate defiance of intentionally scheming against Yahweh. Now, having studied Paul, having written extensively about his egotistical plot to undermine the Torah, the Barret, the Mechre, and Yahoo them, and establish the audacious notion of a new covenant, one based upon placing one's faith in the gospel of grace, I recognize that Zed's every nuance serves to indict the founder of the Christian religion. That's not to say that everything Paul wrote was false. Had it been, he wouldn't have fooled anyone. It isn't how false prophets prevail. Effective deceptions always derive their perceived legitimacy from something which has been established. For example, Muhammad is called a prophet because only uh, credible aspects of the Quran are those he plagiarized from the Torah and prophets. So the only reason he's called a prophet is because he pilfered from via the Talmud uh, arguments that appear uh, to be justified. And therefore, he's compared to the others. But guess what? Just because his ego wouldn't allow him to be anything less, neither he nor Paul got a single prediction right. Muhammad's not a prophet. Not one prediction right. Paul got many wrong. So did Muhammad. In God's test, you have to get all of them right and can't get any of them wrong. Muhammad wasn't a prophet. Paul wasn't a prophet. Not one by either man. If you are Yah's prophet, Everything you reveal must be entirely consistent with what Yahweh has Sawa instructed Torah, fashioned the covenant and directed the feast. If every word isn't inspired, accurate and authorized, then the prophet is false. There's no room for any deviation, any personal indulgence, any opinions or so much as a single contradictory statement. I got news for all those numbskulls out there, the Joseph Smiths who's going to spend his eternity in hell. Uh, Or uh, these people who consider themselves to be prophets. Not only are they not prophets, but that is a really bad choice because there's nothing God despises more. You do not want to make that claim. The standard mm-hmm. of being a real prophet is uh, <clears throat> you have no chance whatsoever to meet it. I am so glad that Yahweh has gone to such length to describe the witness that he would use to awaken his people. And at no time does he even come within a million miles of calling such individual a prophet. But why would you want to be a prophet? You don't need your prophet. You know, how, prophet, have you know done there, there's enough prophetic insights that have been revealed to fill a thousand lifetimes. Now, at this point, the volume of, uh, of Yadaya Yada set uh, just spine to spine is over three feet. And I'm going to tell you that the entire review of everything that Yahweh said in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms is uh, only about uh, two inches. And yet we have 30 feet, and we've, we've just barely scratched the surface. And the reason okay. for that is, it's the insights that you derive from these words and the explanation of the words and all the depth and richness of the meaning of these words and how they apply to our lives that is so essential for us to know. And that is so much more fun, so much more productive at this time than having another prophet. Why in the world would we have another prophet? God's told us the beginning, the middle, and the end. Even repeated himself. Sorry, I'm sorry, editors. He, God's told us the story every which way possible. I know when he's coming back. So do you. You know exactly the the minute and the hour of the day and year that he is returning and why and with whom and you know all the stuff that's going to go wrong between now and then and you know how to be there with him when he returns as one of his children we know all of this god told us all this the world doesn't need another prophet Needs H- to listen to the prophets. God's already provided. Just read this. Yes. yes. I, I'm not suggesting that this is the only answer. You know, it it may be now, but you know, a time, as time grows, there there may be other witnesses. But at least there's one, and that's. All God has ever promised, and sadly, for a very long period of time, from Malachi, eh, really till the end, there are no more prophets. Malachi was the last of them. Two thousand five hundred years of, uh, of prophetic silence. I think Yah was speaking very loudly, very clearly, very powerfully urgently to his people. But it's through the prophets of old that the message is uh, finally resonating. So, God is abundantly clear about uh, who is and who is not a prophet. He communicates uh, with people, he's, uh, he is exceedingly disciplined to explain when they're deployed, where they're deployed, why they're being deployed, and to whom they're speaking. And in this regard, there isn't a single rabbinical affirmation anywhere to be found in the Torah throughout the prophets. Not once does God say, I'm going to inspire I gaggle of rabbis, and they're going to go write a Talmud and a Mishnah and a Zohar, and they're going to create this really nifty religion called Judaism, which I'm going to inspire and support. The thing that is so essential to the identity of Jews, Judaism, God never speaks of in a positive way condemns it a lot. Isn't that amazing? You got all these rabbis that are claiming to speak for God, and God never said a word about them other than to condemn them. Said nothing about their festivals. Said nothing about their books. Condemn them. And yet he speaks vociferously of the the goy that he would pick to awaken his people. I would be uh, circumspect if I were you, if you are a religious Jew, to that realization. Well, his role as the Pesachal, the Passover lamb, is well attested. Yosha was not acknowledged by name anywhere within Yahweh's testimony because his purpose was to fulfill prophecy, not to proclaim it. Also, Dode's name is proclaimed by the prophets more times than any other because in addition to being the most prolific prophet, he is returning with Yahweh's Messiah and king. When a person claims God's authorization, and inspiration, as Paul did, Akiba, Mohammedes, Muhammad, Mohammedes, and a plethora of rabbis have done. Their testimony must be perfect, and yet it is seldom even correct. There can be no latitude, no compromise, no accommodation, no
0: justification.
1: A false prophet cannot be exonerated by pointing out that some of the things they wrote are true it only takes a single errant stroke to impose an imposter. Their lack of respect for Yahweh's word, his name, his Torah, his covenant, his invitations, his terms, and his way individually are sufficient to denounce them all. Every prophet who spoke for Yahweh affirmed the Torah. Every single one of them. They all share God's guidance and teaching, and did not amend it. They did not challenge it. They did not seek to replace it. They sought not to annul it. Their focus was always on Yisrael. Goyim were to be avoided. Within their revelation, Yahweh speaks in first person and is frequently named. No one else matters, other than to identify the cast of characters interacting with and often misleading Yisrael. The unique and enlightening nature of uh, Hebrew stems uh, conjunctions, can influence the way that we convey verbs such as muth, uh, which was the last verb in uh, that powerful statement. In the call stem, we should perceive false prophets as being genuinely deadly and recognize that their words are actually lifeless. There is then good and bad news relative to the perfect conjugation. On the positive side, the plagues inspired by such men will not endure because God has devised a cure. But as for the liars themselves, by writing moot, such that the consequence is time-constrained, the false prophet's death will not be the end of their existence. And this means that Yahweh intends to dispatch such souls to Sheol, where they will remain incarcerated and separated forevermore. Since this is a life and death matter, Yahweh wants his people to be absolutely certain who was speaking for him and against him. Now, we're still recording, but no longer broadcasting, so this will be our last statement. We'll pick up again uh, uh, at this point next week. And if you say, using your best judgment, how can we actually and consistently know, Yada. the statements which... Ha-debar-ashar. Yahweh himself has not spoken. lo hu When a prophet speaks in the reputation or designation of Yahweh and the matter discussed has not occurred or does not come to be, this is a message that Yahweh has not spoken to him. Such a prophet has stated it arrogantly, presumptuously, and independently of his own accord. You should not revere or respect him for having conspired to incite an alienating rebellion. The body Deuteronomy, words, 1822. The fellow that created the most popular religion amongst Gentiles in world history. Mm -hmm. The fellow that wrote the book that these uh, faithful consider to be scripture um, wrote 14 of the letters and and is the inspiration between Matthew, Mark, Luke, Mm
0: -hmm. and the
1: book of Acts in addition to those 14 letters. Mm
0: -hmm. Paul
1: offered one prophecy. In all of that space, he offered one prophecy. It was about um, what uh, he calls the rapture. Um, puzzle, I think is the uh, is mm-hmm. the term. It's a very violent snatching away. Violent. Yeah, 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 the there, is, there is no rapture. There is a gleaning of the covenant, but it's of the existing covenant, not the new covenant and that gleaning will take place on on Teruah. paul was uh writing at it a big shot that he was and somebody asked him when it's going to occur and of course he couldn't say i don't have a clue uh because his ego wouldn't allow that so he uh you know he waxed poetic and he said you know uh uh when this occurs the uh the dead are going to rise first and then we who are alive will uh Follow them in a blink of an eye.
0: Good luck with that one.
1: Didn't happen, did it? In fact, Hmm. it wouldn't happen for almost two thousand years. Just missed it by a smidgen. Sorry, means it's deadly. Yeah. You know this other, you know, the Christian malarkey will say, you know, he, he was chosen by Jesus to speak for him. Oh yeah, then why did he ever never once quote him accurately? And all of those fourteen letters, plus uh, everything else he did, he only quoted Yosha once, and even then he got it wrong. It, it was to uh, he misquoted Yosha to uh, to create the false impression that there were two covenants. That was it. His letters are filled with, but I, Paul, say, yeah, never. Yeah, says, but I say. But Yosha yeah. says. Nothing. When he quotes Yahweh, he never mentions him by name, and 100% of the time he misquotes it, Pulls the statement out of context, and 100% mm-hmm. of the time, God's actual message is the antithesis of the point Paul's making. So I can assure you, he didn't speak for God. He did not speak for Jesus, much less Yosha. And he's a false prophet. And yet, he is the author of the most popular religion in human history. And not just the most popular religion, but the most anti-Semitic. The religion that's done more harm to God's people than any other. That's all because the people who should have known better, the people who were told better, pretended to be Torah observant and really didn't give a raspitude about the Torah, because if they did, they would have killed that religion right at the outset, such that by citing Dabarim 18, Christianity would have been stillborn. And there's a consequence, yeah. uh, ignorance isn't bliss. It's deadly. And the hell that Jews have endured these past 2,000 years is because the religion of Judaism was conceived at the time and for the purpose of denying the Passover lamb And because of that, Jews have brought this hell upon themselves. Well, I want to thank you all for uh, for listening. Um, I want to uh, thank uh, our wonderful team of that have done uh, so much uh, for us over these uh, years uh, in editing and uh, publishing these uh, these books and. And of course, the, the uh, enormous uh, social uh, outreach at, uh, at this point, and to the uh, social media that's being projected and promoted to draw attention to these, uh, these works, uh, to the website at Yada Yada now that is so um, effective at communicating what we are learning as we're learning it, um, I go uh, very often. Uh, to you know the community page on the yada yada website if you uh, if you go from the uh, the home on the website and you uh, click community the uh, the second first thing that comes up is what Dee is doing for us in uh, in social media Uh, and I strongly encourage everyone to go there and support uh, her uh, work uh, there it's how the world is communicating it's the new town square and it's essential that Yahweh's message be there, and Dee is doing that uh, for us. She's working a lot with Leah and has got uh, Jackie's support. But if you go to uh, David, who, is the, uh, who has created these, the Yadaya website, and you click on the Books of Yadaya, uh, that is uh, a companion site that David has created. When you click on there, on the far right side, there's some lines and a finger, and it says the Translation Index. I use it every day, and I wrote these books, and I'm using it every day, because you can go there, and you would say, all right, uh, how many times and where have uh, I written about such and such or translated this uh, this particular passage, and it's all there, and it is uh, such a, a marvelous tool the way that it, uh, it's integrated. So really appreciative of it. Um, and, uh, Kirk, thank you. Um,
0: my for pleasure all that
1: you do for, uh, contributing to, uh, this program. And, um, and I want to thank you all who are, uh, are listening and for, uh, Yahweh's chosen people, Israelites, Yehuda. God loves you in spite of yourselves. Um, Christians are wrong. He didn't kill God. The Romans tried to kill the Passover lamb, um, put the Passover lamb through great misery, but they did not kill God. The Spirit of God left before the lamb drew its last breath. But it would be in your interest to recognize that Yosha was the Passover lamb. He was not the Son of God. He was not the Messiah, not a prophet, He was the Passover lamb, and he achieved that status by God, inserting his nefesh soul, his projected consciousness into him, and that matzah was fulfilled the following day when Yahweh's consciousness, his nefesh, was sent to Sheol to redeem us, to ransom us. It is behooving for you to recognize that your Messiah has a name. His name is Doed, David that he is returning with Yahweh, that Muhammad's calendar is way off and uh, stupidly conceived. Uh, we are just 11 years from Yahweh's return. He is going to return on the day of reconciliation. He wants to reconcile his relationship with Yisrael and Yahuda. There are c- currently 20 books. Within a week to two weeks' time, there'll be 21 on the bookshelf of Yadaya. All total, there'll be at least 25. They were all written for you. This is a labor of love because God loves his people and is trying to call you home. Listen to him. He loves you. He is exceedingly generous, compassionate. He's liberating. He's enlightening. He's uplifting. He's empowering. He's enriching. He's everything you would want a father and God to be and nothing like what the religious have to say of him. The most anti-Semitic influence in the world today is actually rabbinic Judaism. It's not Muslims. They're a force that can be reckoned with. It's not Christians although they have done great harm. Not progressives, even though they are the most dim-witted of all people today. No, the most anti-Semitic force in the world is Rabbinic Judaism. It does more to distance people from Yahweh's name, does more to preclude Jews from knowing that Yahweh fulfilled Pesach and Matzim, leading to Bakurim does more to corrupt Yahweh's message and to deprive Jews of their relationship with God than any other institution, now or ever. To be part of a relationship with Yahweh, as a Yehudim, the first thing you must do is walk away from Judaism, to expose it, to condemn it, to reject it. And the second is to disassociate yourself from Israeli politics. God specifically told Abraham that he must walk away from Babylon, from Babel, from the confusion of religion and politics, from that culture, from the family of man, if he wanted to journey to the promised land and be part of this covenant. If you are a Yehudim, understand what your name means. It means Beloved of Yahweh. Yahweh is God's name. You must come to know it, acknowledge it, understand it, and use it, cherish it, if you're going to be part of the covenant family and survive this life. Come to trust him. Come to trust him by rejecting the lies that have been written about him and turn to his words. Yes, we write and we speak in English here as we translate the Hebrew text, because English is the lingua franca, not only the world, but it's the language spoken by more Jews than any other. You're welcome to read the books of Yadaya. You can go to yadaya.com. They're all there and they're entirety free if you prefer holding paper in your hands the books can be bought royalty-free from Amazon. Turn to them, read them. Learn about your God. Embrace the covenant. Attend the McRae. And you too can be part of his eternal family. But be aware there's not much time left. Here in the late spring of 2022, you have just over 11 years, and that's for the lucky, the remnant. Two out of every three Jews will die between now and then. More, even a higher percentage of the world's population will succumb to man's horrible decisions and wars and famines and pandemics between now and then. So don't wait. And there's no value in waiting anyway. A relationship with Yahweh is marvelous. As I said, it is uplifting and liberating. It's not restrictive like religion. God doesn't have any laws. He has teaching and guidance. He is enriching, enlightening, empowering. It's fun to be around. That's the reason why I was kidding. I said, uh, you know, I, i I write of God as as if he were my buddy as if he were my Yay. father he's my friend um, I think God wants us to view him that way he wants us to be comfortable with him so that's my invitation to you if you are a Ya'od, Jew if you are a Relish Israelite Israelite from the other tribes other than Yehud. And if you're a Gentile, this message is also for you. So, Kirk, thank you. My pleasure to be with you this evening. A wonderful and happy Shabbat to one and all. Thank you uh, for thank the you. family members that uh, contribute to this uh, program with your, uh, your insights and your aptitudes, as well as to the book and to the website. May God bless you all. Good night.